Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network and brought to you by the Nashville Scene and Post. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Yeah, if you missed our announcement, of course, on Monday, back quickly here, two episodes this week. So this will be a short one. Not a ton of news in Nashville Predators land, but we've got some fun stuff for you. But again, uh want to just say thanks to, to to you guys, Michael, the Nashville Scene, the Nashville Post, uh, and everything that we got going on. We're very excited about the future of Predators coverage. And again, it's all your fault every Monday, the gold standard every Thursday. You get your your Megan and your your Megan fix on Monday, and you get you get your Braden fix on Thursday. I don't know if those are two things that anybody wants or needs, but uh, we're delivering them for you. And and Michael, you get stuck with the with the with the two of us on on each show. So uh, a lot of stuff coming for you guys still, as well as the season gets closer. We're still months away. Uh, fun stuff today on the show. We we did have somebody reach out, Michael, that was very upset about our Dante Fabro takes. So we're gonna address some of those. JJ reached out and had some thoughts about our our opinions on Dante Fabro from last episode. So we'll, is, we'll address does JJ's last name happen to be Fabro, by the way, <laughs> it does not. Uh, but we will get to a little more Dante Fabro nuanced conversation today on the show. You've had it. You had an article about the predators, most recent number one draft pick, uh, Joaquin Kemmel, who is just dominating so far in junior. So we'll get into that central division odds to win the Stanley cup. So we'll look at the Western conference and we'll talk about basically what, what you went through, is you went through and, and did an exercise where you looked at every single team, their pluses and their minuses through the offseason, and which teams won, quote-unquote, in the Central Division and which ones did not. And, of course, Yakov Trenin is officially still and forever a Nashville Predator for at least two more seasons. So we'll get to all of that. Before we do, however, the gold standard is brought to you by... Jaspers. Look at that. You just you haven't screwed it up yet. You've done a great season pro. I do plan on going to Jasper's soon. I told my wife and I, I think it was last week that we were trying to plan date nights and stuff. And I'm like, we have to go there. I love sports bars. I, I haven't been there. They're, they're the title sponsor of the podcast. So I only feel like yeah. it's part of my duty to go there. So, yeah, it is part of your duty. Yeah. And, and also you'll love it because it's great. And so will she. Um, now go to Jas. You guys know all the, the things that are amazing about Jasper's going there to watch games you know you've got uh, football starting up preseason football starting up you can watch stuff uh all baseball's playoffs are coming soon you got nashville sc games so it's a great place to go watch free parking the game room all that great stuff however they also have a new family style catering menu which is perfect for tailgates watch parties you know meetings all kinds of stuff you can get your next get your next special event menu uh give it give see i can't even get this right this is why we don't do copy uh michael on the show because if i read copy i screw it up Give your next special event menu a glow up with our brand new catering options. Choose from elevated party foods like wings, sliders, a fajita bar. Are you kidding me? You can get a fajita bar delivered to your tailgate party. Perfect for any occasion from game day festivities to lunch at the office. Pickup and delivery are available for groups of eight people or more. Make sure you go check out the website there. Uh, you can order now all over the website. It's uh, uh, You can go to Jasper's uh, website and check it out. Uh, great stuff. Here's the question, um, Michael. Did you ever... I've never considered fajita bar or fajita like a tailgate food or a like watch party food. But now that Jasper's is doing it, it has skyrocketed to the top of my favorite list of, of food to watch, to food to eat while I'm watching sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like... I feel like the ultimate tailgate kind of atmosphere and food is, you know, burgers, hot dogs, chips, stuff like that. But I mean, name a time when fajitas don't sound good. I, I cannot do that. Exactly. There's not a time. 
I'm sure once upon a time, people were eating wings, probably thinking, hey, this is this, you know, is this normal to eat this during a game or whatever? And now it's <laughs> popular options along with nacho and stuff like that. So it's I, I like to have an eclectic kind of um, variety of foods to eat while I'm watching games. So I'm, I mean, I'm honestly I'm hard. honestly trying to think about it. Like even, even if I'm sitting in a hundred degree temperature on the beach, I still think a fajita would be good. Exactly. Like I'm trying to come up with a situation where now they're a little messy sometimes. So maybe, you know, in the car is not a good, it's not a good a fajita bar in your car is probably bad while you're on a road trip, maybe. But you know what? It's a good way to get in your protein, your vegetables, get in your dairy, your fiber. Like, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's a well-balanced meal. All right. So check it out. Uh, of course, you can go check out the catering menu. You can order now. The website, jaspers.restaurant, of course, .com is the website. Uh, or Jasper, jaspers.restaurant. I guess there's no .com there. But go check it out. Uh, all kinds of great stuff. Go to Jaspers, everybody. And, of course, we are also brought to you by Weiss Liquors, Uber Eats. Get your liquor sent directly to your house. Go to Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors. Go in and buy some liquor, and you get, uh, say, 440 and you get 10% off. So tax-free booze delivered right to your house. Pretty good stuff from Weiss Liquors there. Okay. Uh, Yakov, first of all, Yakov Trenin, two years, 3.4 million. Good to get it done. Um, it, it, it fell right in between the two numbers. You know, people, Yakov wanted over two. David Poyle wanted like one and a quarter. It falls right around one seven. Um, just your thoughts on why it took so long. Can you explain maybe why it took the arbiter so long to establish this? That's a really good question. And I feel like kind of like how Major League Baseball and NFL are kind of making umpires and refs kind of explain questionable decisions and controversial decisions after games. Now, I feel like the arbiters should kind of stand in front of the firing squad and and let us know, be like, hey, I need an extra day because, you know, apparently it's too difficult. I'm bad at math. I don't have a calculator to, to split the difference between what the players asking for and what the team's asking for. But it, it, it got done. I think it was right along where we said I tweeted out i was on vacation i was supposed to keep my tweeting to a minimum but i tweeted out don't be surprised if he re-signs for between 1.7 1.8 million i deleted the tweet because my sources were like hey <laughs> let, let's not put that out there yet like okay took it down it was right <laughs> along where, where it was supposed to be and i feel like it's a very good it's a very good um solid kind of salary of what you want to pay someone like yako trenin and me i'm a big stats guy so i'm going to throw some stats out at you which is why i think this is a great move we also had a story up kind of explaining a little bit along the lines of like why the arbitration process is something players and teams like to typically avoid um, stuff like that. Jeremy K. Gover, a friend of the show, he filled in for me while I was on vacation. He had a good story up on Trenton's arbitration hearings. So you can read that in the post if you haven't. But last year, and I think the thing is, Jakob Trenton has this kind of perception of being this tough guy, this big physical brute, which he is, but also his offensive game, I feel like is underrated. I'm looking at kind of the stats as I was I was trying to break down exactly why this was such a great move for the Predators to get it done. In the regular season last year, he ranked sixth in goals, seventh in plus minus, seventh in penalty minutes, and then out of the entire league, he ranked 31st in hits. Looking at it on the team, on the Predators, he was fourth behind Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, and Ellie Tolvanen in shots among forwards, and he was fifth behind Ryan Johansson, Tanner Janot, Matt Duchesne, and Philip Forsberg in shooting percentage. I feel like him kind of being up there in the top three, four, five, of shots and shooting percentage is something that's a little, not a lot of people knew that about him because he I, has, a I would not have guessed that punching you in the face. Yeah. And you could argue in the playoffs, aside from Matt Duchesne, Yakov Trenton was probably their best player. And I feel like a couple of Duchesne had three goals. I feel like a couple of those were like garbage time at the end of the game when, you know, Colorado wasn't really paying attention or whatever, but Trenton was tied with Duchesne for, for three goals. They were the only two Preds forwards with more than one goal. Trenton was also tied for the third most shots. 
Um, he was one of just four players with double-digit shots, and he was one of three players with a shooting percentage in the double digits in the playoffs. So I think he, I think he kind of, it, there was no question he was going to get re-signed, but I think he kind of solidified earning that that next contract with his playoff performance. Yeah, I don't, and I think we talked last episode about the expectations for that line, which is we, I think you put it at like sixty goals combined for Je- Tanner Janot, Colton Sissons, and, and Yakov Trenin. Now that Trenin had seventeen last year, Janot had twenty four. Sissons was down last year, so they're they're going to have to to grow a little bit and actually improve those numbers. But I think Trenin can be a twenty goal scorer. I don't think there's any reason why he he could not be like I think he can be that player for them. And at this price point, it's a total steal. I think two million would have been totally fine. The key is going to be what does he grow into, what does he become, and is that more of a four million dollar forward for like four years and you get sixteen? You know, like what does the next contract look like for Yakov Trenin? I think is going to be dictated by what he does. And if he's a 20 goal scorer, he's probably going to get, you know, between three and four million on his next contract. Right. Yeah. And I think the perfect comparison and the perfect salary com- player comparison and salary comparison is the guy they just signed, Nino Niederreiter. I think that's the kind of potential Trenton has to be a 20, 22 goal scorer, 40, 45 point player. He could play on the second line if you need him, but I feel like he's just so suited for that third line role with Sissons with, uh, and Janot. And if you look at it, this will be the first season in, in four years where his uh, his work hasn't doubled. So in 2019, he played 21 games. 2020, he played 45 games. Last year, he played 80 games. So he's literally doubled his workload the last yeah. three seasons. This will be the first time where he's going to be playing 80 games, hopefully, 80 or so games like he did last year. So I think, and we saw, you know, he had two goals his first year. He had five goals last or two years ago, and he had 17 goals last year. I think kind of last year his his output is kind of consistent with what you can expect from him. I think he'll be 20 goals, I think he'll be 30 to 40 points. It kind of we I think we all expect that that third line, that hurt line if you want to call him that. I think we expect them to take a little bit of a step forward. Um because as we noted last time Tanner Janot kind of faltered a little bit down the stretch. Colton Sissons right. didn't really produce offensively like we expected. So I think it's 60 goals is not unreasonable for that line. Well, and I think to some degree, all of the and this is just sort of a random thought that hit me. So you can just tell me if it's stupid or not. But like I don't like Tanner know you could play if it wasn't for such a, a a high quality sort of themed line that 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 group was right. They again we we talk about it all the time. They start every period on the face off. They start every defensive zone important defensive zone face off time. They're like they have a specific role that they all play together, but they also deliver scoring punch. What's interesting is I think Tanner know and his skills like. If you wanted to play him with Niederreiter and Johansson on the second line, like he'd be an ex- excellent second line winger. Like I think he he'd be great. It's it, it's because he's these guys are so good at the other stuff too that you're actually spreading the scoring talent down to the third line. So it, the idea is if you can get 60 goals out of that third line, you're taking the pressure off of guys like Niederreiter and Tomasino specifically to deliver a lot more scoring punch on the second line. So does that make sense that in theory Janot and Trenton could be second line wingers for this team traditionally, but because they work so well on the third and because there's other stuff at the top that it's that, that it works great. Like that, that there's actually, they're spreading it actually out more than we think they are. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, if this was 2010, I mean, you'd be talking about top line wingers right now. Cause that was back in the days when you had Martin Erat and Sergei Kostitsin and, and your, your top line wingers were 20 goal, 30 point players at best. And I think what's what's interesting and what kind of I was thinking about this and uh, when they when the trade went down and they got rid of Matthew Olivier, I think they sent him to Toronto. Um, it was interesting because it's like he he had a role in the playoffs. You kind of wondered where he fit in this year, and I had the thought 
he played really well on the original herd line before Janot came up. Why not keep Trennan, Sissons, and Olivier together? You reward Tanner Janot for playing as well as he did. You bump him up to that second line role. Yeah. And think of a second line now with Niederreiter, Tanner Janot, and Ryan Johansson. That probably sounds a little bit more enticing than that line with, say, Philip Tomasino on the other wing. So yeah. it's... It, it's to your point where, you know, we we're talking about where do you play Granlin and Duchesne, who's on the first and second line. You spread out the scoring, and I think it, it does that third line well. Having Tanner Janot's scoring ability and also his physicality, you know, you couple that with Jakob Trenin and his scoring ability, I think he's probably going to go up to 20, 22 goals somewhere in there next year. I think Colton Sissons is, is a solid anchor for that line. But spreading it out probably is the best thing for this team because we saw last year they really struggled offensively down the stretch. So any way you can keep it a balanced scoring attack, one through three, I think that's probably the, the, the safer move for him. Okay. Yeah, no, I like it. I think I think he should be a big part of this team moving forward. The arbitration thing was weird. It is what it is. It's done. Let's move on. Yeah. Third line is awesome. It's set and ready to go. Let, let's have a good time with that group. Um, so we, we, we love and encourage and want – input from the listening audience you guys are just as smart if not smarter than we are and sometimes we say things you disagree with and that's great we love that jj on twitter called us out last week uh, he slid he slid up into my dms and he said man i have no idea why so much of the media hates on fabro and we had talked a little bit about him being the third defense pairing that he has some stuff to prove and you know you mentioned hey he could be a trade asset which also sort of you have to think that means you're giving him credit to being valuable to some degree. Um, but basically he was talking about the pairings and, and Fabro versus Carrier essentially. And, and JJ, if I'm getting your point incorrect here, feel free to slide up into the DMS again, but that Fabro is better than Carrier, especially defensively. And that that's, that could dictate who they play with on, in terms of the defense pairings. He also goes on to say specifically, he doesn't think that, you know, that either of the two guys are like top line, you know, uh, starting star defensemen right now, either of them, but that he thinks McDonough, if that Fabro played with McDonough, he would grow more and that he's just right now better than Carrier. So I, I, I want to give you the floor first. Cause I, I personally, I don't think that he's better than Carrier. I can, I could see the case that he's maybe better defensively. We could argue that maybe he's better with, with McDonough and that's a really good pairing to develop Fabro. Um, but I'll give you the floor here to respond to, to JJ on Twitter here, who says that we are, we're, why does the media hate Dante Fabro? Okay. Well, first of all, JJ, thank you for listening and engaging with us and yes. giving us stuff to think about. It's always great when people don't just listen to you because it's something to do and they actually like, Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. So thank you for that. Um, I, this was sprung on me like five minutes before we recorded. So I don't, I didn't have enough time to properly <laughs> prepare. Maybe I'll do a story on it. Maybe that'll, you know, thank you for the possible story idea. Um, well, I mean, honestly, the defense group right now, not just a top four or a top six, but like seven and eight, like it's a, it's a fascinating decision that John Hines has to make yeah, in, in all of those things. And it's not written. I mean, who knows? John Hines could go Yossi and, and Fabro. He could go Ekholm and Carrier and he could go McDonough and Lozai. Like, we don't know what he's going to do. Um, but I do think, okay, so I would like to take us out of the the grouping of the media hating on Dante Fabro. I, I don't think you hate Dante Fabro, and I certainly don't hate Dante Fabro. I, I suggested he would make an interesting trade chip because he still has value. I think he's 23, almost 24, former first-round pick. He hasn't lived up to expectations, which is unfair to him because when the expectations are – Ryan Suter, Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, Matias Seth, Uphold, Seth it's Jones. Almost, yeah, it's almost impossible to live up to that. Right. And and some of those guys were second round picks. 
you, you look at just kind of where Fabro is now and where you expected him to be three, four years in, into his tenure with the Predators, you, you expected him to really have, you expected there to be no question that he is Matthias Ekholm's partner on the second pairing. And that's still a question mark right now. And I'm going to divert my attention to my other laptop because that's where I took all my notes. So <laughs> a brief comparison of Carrier and Fabro side by side. Shorthanded time on ice. Carrier played 220 minutes. Fabro only played 64. Shorthanded time on ice per game. Carrier played almost three minutes per game. Fabro played just under a minute. Hits. Carrier 95. Fabro 69. Block shots. Carrier nice. 124. Fabro 105. On ice goals for percentage. So Carrier was on the ice for 60, almost 63% of the Predators' goals. Fabro was at 53. <laughs> on ice a percentage. Carrier, when Carrier was on the ice, 93.08. Fabro, just about right at 90. And then you look at it, Fabro played 360 fewer minutes than Carrier total, but he only allowed, was it 74 high danger chances, 74 fewer high danger chances. To me, and it's, you know, I know I just threw a lot of numbers at you. To me, that shows one, John Hines trusts Alex Carrier more in defensive situations on the penalty kill. Um, Pretty much any time, I won't say every time, but most of the time when another team's top one or two lines are out there, you're going to see Alex Carrier out there, regardless of who he's paired with, more than you will see Dante Fabro. Carrier also had more hits, more blocked shots. The on-ice save percentage is higher when Carrier is on the ice than Fabro. I think all that suggests that, and I don't think it's the Predators just have it out for Dante Fabro. I think from what they see in practice, from what they see on the ice, that Alex Carrier is more defensively responsible. And John Hines has said that it's the reason Rocco Grimaldi was not here last yeah, year. It's because yeah. of, of the way he plays away from the puck. Well, John, it, that's one thing John Hines harps on is what you do when you don't have the puck or when you're not affecting the play where the puck is. And I think that Dante Fabro still has some some leaps to make in that area, whereas Alex Carrier is slightly ahead of him. Well, and even if, let's say hypothetically, purely as a defensive part of their game that Dante Fabro was slightly better than Alex Carrier. Let's just say hypothetically that that was true, even though if your numbers say otherwise, like I, I might even agree with that from an eye test standpoint and say, look, I think Dante Fabro looks a little bit better in the defensive zone than Carrier. Whatever. Let's just say that that's true for this, the sake of this discussion. Carrier is vastly superior on offense. <laughs> so, and, and how he changes the way the team transitions from their own zone to the offensive zone. So I think it's okay to say that maybe Fabro's a little bit better on defense, but Carrier is clearly the better overall player at his position. I think that's fine. Here's the other thing, and I, this happens, I think, in sports in general. happens to coaches, but it definitely happens to players. And that is when you are exposed so much, overexposure leads to like overcoverage, and overcoverage can lead to people thinking that you are overrated. And I think what, yeah. what happens is is when you come up as a 21-year-old and you play every year, we have all these huge expectations for you, and maybe you don't live up, and then maybe you have a bad game. And the other thing that hurts Dante Fabro is these like random, like like singular mistakes that lead directly to like breakaway goals. <laughs> it just it seems like that happens to Fabro Fabro more than everybody else, even if that's not true. It just seems like it. And so the fact that he has been overcovered and we have so much to see of him and Carrier sort of just like yo-yoed back and forth between Milwaukee and he's like older than Fabro is and he hasn't played in the NHL as long and maybe because he waited he's a more sound player or whatever i think overcoverage and overexposure can lead to people having a uh, maybe a, a perception of you that isn't necessarily fair and i think that's probably baked into the coverage and conversation 
of Dante Fabro. I know I'm guilty of it because I had high expectations for him. And then he got here and he delivered kind of early. And then he took a step back and I was like, okay, let's see. Then he, he wasn't good the next year. And then he got better last year. And so maybe that's that, that journey is in my head when I think about analyzing him. And so that, again, maybe that's fair. Maybe that's accurate. Maybe it's not, but I do think that is a thing that happens that, you know, when you're overcovered, overexposed, you can become overrated, even if that's not the right term for it. Whereas Carrier hasn't had a lot, like fans haven't had a lot to see of, of yeah. Alex Carrier. So and I think I think to that two points to to everything you just said. One, Carrier, while he's he's been in Nashville a lot less than than Dante Fabro has, he's been in the system a lot longer. I mean, it, it feels it's crazy thinking that Alex Carey, I think he's 25, almost 26. It's crazy thinking he's that young because I feel like I've been covering him for almost a decade. It feels like my very first development camp, he was someone that, that I covered. And he's been in Milwaukee, I don't know, what, four years before he got, got called up. And I think the, the fact that Milwaukee and Nashville run similar systems, they expect the same similar things from their defensemen. They rely on them to to drive the rush, to drive the puck up, up ice. They run to score a lot. I think that benefited Alex Carey. So the transition for him seemed more seamless than Dante Fabro. And I will also add okay. Dante Fabro. I don't know how to word this. Dante Fabro had Alex Carey had it much easier last year than Dante Fabro. Carey played largely with Matias Ekholm. Roman Yossi. I don't know how many times you watch a Predators game and Roman Yossi is up at the opponent's net. He loves to he loves to jump on the rush. He loves to take liberties with the puck. He lo- he loves to drive the net. Right. right. Dante Fabro. I don't know. How, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there was a lot a lot of last year where Dante Fabro they're, they're transitioning back the other way, and Dante Fabro is having to skate backwards, and Roman Yossi's all the way on the other end of the ice. Alex Carey didn't really have to worry about that because Matias Ekholm, for for the most part, was largely within five ten feet away from him where he should be defensively. Dante Fabro probably had a lot more odd man rushes because Roman Yossi is up trying to score, whereas yep. Matias Ekholm is kind of hanging back where he should be. So Fabro had it tougher last year simply for the way that Roman Yossi plays. And and I think some of that JJ was alluding to some of that. Like that's why, like again, like that's part of the conversation here. Again, mo- I think the story as we were like live. We're like we're like doing the assignment editor thing like live on the podcast here. I do think the interesting story is looking at all the different combinations and 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 going into camp. What are all the different combinations that John Hines has at his disposal? What are going to be the best ones? And and there's a lot of like those could decide how good this team is this season and there's a lot of different things he can do with those guys. And that's a good problem to have because it feels like there are good options there. And again, Jeremy Lausan has been signed for a big contract that I never expected him to sign. And that means they clearly view him as an asset moving forward. So there's a lot of stuff there that is good news for Predators fans, even if we all disagree on who should play with who and where and why and what and how and all that good stuff. So uh, thank you, JJ, for the question. And we want you guys holding us accountable. So if we say something stupid on the pod, which is absolutely going to happen, then please Make sure you call us out on it. We love that you take time out of your day to send us questions about the Preds. We love that. So I think uh, the great thing about this, too, is I feel like we both can be right. I feel like a lot of JJ's <laughs> points have validity and a lot of our points have validity. And it might not be he's right and we're wrong or we're right and he's wrong. It could just be that we are both right. He's getting a lot of run on the show today. Two yeah. things, two things. I say this all the time. Two things can be true. Uh, that is the way the world works. All right. Um, we're going to get into... I think which which is one of the most exciting leads I've ever seen you you write, and it's about a world junior hockey player uh, playing in another country right now. So we'll get to that in a second, and then 
your thoughts on what has happened in the division on who's gotten better, who's gotten worse, the moves they've made. And then we'll look at some of the Vegas odds as well. Before we do that, of course, want to remind everybody that the gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jasper's again, jaspers.restaurant. If you want to go order right now, of course, the, um, the brand new spectacular and amazing, delicious, um, family style catering menu. You can go get, um, you got fajita bar, you got wings, sliders, all kinds of great desserts. Uh, their salads, it's all their great, fantastic food, but for eight people or more, uh, delivery and pickup are available. So make sure you check it out. And of course, our, our wonderful and amazing sponsor, Weiss Liquors brought to you, of course, uh, by Weiss Liquors over there on Gallatin and Main Street. Go to Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, have booze delivered right to your door. Let Weiss Liquors do the driving so you can do the drinking. I didn't run that past anybody. I just think it's a good tagline. Uh, <laughs> and of course, if you go in there and you pop by the store and you go into Weiss, I've been shopping there for like 15 years. They're wonderful and amazing folks. Go in there, say 440 Sports when you check out, you get 10% off. So uh, there you go. Weiss Liquors and Jaspers are wonderful and amazing sponsors. Follow them on Instagram, follow them on Twitter, tag them in photos, all that great stuff. All right. Uh, first round draft pick, 17th overall, Joe Kim Kemmel. And I, I, look, I'm not going to lie to the wonderful and amazing podcast listeners and say, look, I'm watching a lot of the World Junior Hockey <laughs> Tournament because I'm not. But here is the lead of your story about on the National Post, NashvillePost.com, about what's taking place in the 24 year history of Nashville Predators. The franchise arguably has never had a forward prospect with as high a ceiling as Joachim Kennel Kemmel's. Easy for me to say. Explain yourself, Michael Gallagher. Yes. The, the so, audacity. I think a little bit of copy editing took out a little change what I was going for. But basically, it should it should say they've never had a team drafted forward prospect with as high of a ceiling. That <laughs> it a little bit because Philip Forsberg, those of you that don't know, they traded for him from the Washington Capitals. But, Martin, Martin Erat, right? Yeah, and Michael Latta. Don't forget him. Oh, that's right. Who could? Who could? Who could forget him? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yes, I and you. And you can make the case Alex Radulov could have been, but we don't know what could have been because he, for whatever reason, got mad and left and went into the KHL for a number of years and then came back and then he was here for like fifteen games and left again. So <laughs> Radulov was the great what if. But looking at all the forward prospects that they've drafted, and Victor Arvidsson was good. Um, you can get into it to a couple other guys. Philip Tomasino could be that kind of guy. Ellie Tolvanen was looked at once upon a time as that guy. But just looking at what scouts were saying about Joachim Kemmel and just kind of watching him, and I know it's one game and we all love to, to overreact to, to everything. And me being the prospect guy, I am, I love overanalyzing videos and watching yes. stuff like that. Too. Yes. Um, but I think just watching him yesterday, he had two goals and he had four points and both goals, I think, showed and kind of highlighted a little the two main things of wh of why the Predators drafted him. Um, I believe it was his first goal. Um, let me see. What, yeah, it was his first goal. Uh, he the high, by the by the way the highlights some of the highlights are in the story. So go check out the story. Nashville. Yeah, the tweets from the IIHF Twitter account are in there as well. I'm so glad that we have you on the show to follow the IIHF Twitter account. The international, the international <laughs> ice hockey federation. If you didn't know what it was, but yeah. So his first goal, both of. By the way, he scored both of these goals within a three-minute span of the first period. Um, so he gathered a centering pass and one-timed it past whoever the Lafayette goaltender is from the right face-off dot. 
And then his second one, he buried it like right in front of the crease. Um, he elevated a glove side over the goalie. And I think those those two things right there kind of showed why they drafted him in the first place. He has an NHL-ready shot, and he has finishing ability. The Predators have always kind of found a player that has one of those, kind of maybe think he has both of them, but but Kemmel clearly has both of those. And I think it's – I don't yeah. want to you know, get the hype train going because we saw what they did with Let's Ellie Tobin. But I, think, I think from watching that game – you kind of you he's scratching the surface on his potential and you kind of see all of the attributes of why the predators were running to the podium with the 17th pick to get this guy because he's got it all he's a little bit undersized too i think he's like 511 5'10 somewhere in there but he he also has kind of that physicality to his game that they that they want and i think something that isn't really talked about a lot because he's a, he's a sniper he's a goal scorer but he also He's not afraid to play physical. He's not afraid to go afraid to go and engage in puck battles as well. And I think he could be potentially their their best well rounded forward prospect they've ever drafted. Wow, that is pretty bold after one junior hockey game. Pretty bold. But you're the prospect well, I'm, guy. I'm you're not the prospect guy. All of this off of one junior hockey. Oh, game. I know. I, I know. Watch, I did watch some tape of him uh, in in Liga last year. His first, I think it was 16 games. He had 12 goals. He was tearing it up. He set the league on fire. He got injured. I, I know. All that stuff. He didn't come back. But if you if you watch <laughs> glimpses of, of those first 16 games, what you saw in the World Junior game yesterday, I think it's – and again, Colin Wilson built a career on potential. So some people reach it. Some people don't. The potential is there. And I think watching him, it's easy to understand why Predators can get ahead of themselves and get overly excited about him. Yeah, at least, at least he delivered in the playoffs, at least. We'll say that. Uh, yeah. old, old playoff Colin Wilson. So there you go. Something that fans should and will be excited about. And the hype train has begun. Um you know, there, there we go. Number one, they, they, I will say this. If Tomasino, if Tolvanen develops, which I think people are way too quick to, to turn off Ellie Tolvanen, I think there's still plenty of time for him to develop into a nice He's player. 23 Kevin, still. Just took, yeah. Kevin Fiala was kind of slow, 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 and then all of a sudden exploded somewhere else. So I don't want to see Ellie Tolvanen traded. But w- w- if you start to look at like if Afanasiev and Evangelista and Tomasino and Tolvanen and Kemmel, that that's like four or five or six good drafts of forwards high in the draft for David Poyle. Exactly, so let's, Lou and Fedor Svechkov. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. So, well, I don't. It's way too soon to say that David Poyle has done a good job lately of drafting forwards. It's way too soon. But yeah. to the say that there are some, yeah, to say that there are some pieces that fans could be excited about that the Preds drafted at the forward position is a new thing. And I think let's keep an eye on it as we move forward. So there I you go. It was, I think it was two weeks ago I published my my organizational prospect rankings one through ten, and I think six of them were forwards. And I even said this is potentially the best group of forwards prospect wise that this team has ever had. Yeah, I, I don't disagree necessarily. If you if you include Tolvanen and Tomasino kind of in that group, and then yeah. again Trenin and Janot technically count as guys that they've developed recently as well. So even though they were not high, we're talking more about first and second round draft picks yeah. guys that guys that were have pedigree that were that the predators drafted because they had high slots. So Which um, was a second round pick too, but yeah, also, true. I mean, Pinner was undrafted and look what they've done with him. I right. think, I think they're kind of bucking that, that perception of Nashville can't develop a top end forward. Well, slowly. they're slowly getting there. It's taken a while because that has been true for, you know, most of the 20 years, but let's not jinx it. Let's not jinx it just yet. Cause it's, it, they got a long way to go to, to change all that. Jinxes um, don't exist. What's going to happen is going to happen regardless of what's said about it. <laughs> Listen, I will refuse, I refuse to watch the New York Mets right now until they clinch a playoff spot. And then I'll start watching. Uh, Cause I'm afraid I'm going to jinx them. And that makes no rational sense. No human 
There's no human scientific reason for me to do that. But the second I buy in, I'm assuming my heart will be broken. And that is why I do not buy in and I do not watch until they make the postseason. Well, that's um, just called learned experience. Exactly. It's, it's, it's nature, not nurture. Or no, it's nurture, not nature. A little bit of both. Uh, all right, let's look around the division real fast. And just I, I think you the ultimate overwhelming point is going to be when you look at the pluses and minuses, player additions and subtractions around the division, there's a very clear winner in the central division. And we'll get to that in a second. But let me run through the odds to win the Stanley Cup. And I'll give you the odds within the division. So Colorado, number one, plus 400. This is, I think, on on DraftKings. So just go with me on this. Um, Edmonton is is not obviously in the division. They're plus 1600. Uh, Vegas is plus 1900 with Calgary. They're plus 1900. Then you get to Minnesota in the division at plus 1900 at tied for third in the Western conference. Then you get to Nashville in the Western conference to win the Stanley cup at plus 3,500 tied with the Kings. Then you get to St. Louis at plus 4,000. Then you get to Dallas at plus 4,500. Then you have Vancouver then at plus 5,000. You have Winnipeg at plus 6,000 Seattle at plus 10,000. Anaheim at 15,000, San Jose at 18,000, and then our lovely and wonderful friends in the, in the, in the Windy City and out in the desert, Arizona and Chicago, plus 100,000, the two worst teams in the NHL by a mile, according to Vegas, uh, are in the Central Division, so that's a positive. Uh, and we know that Winnipeg and Dallas have some major issues, but really, we've had this kind of conversation, but Colorado, Minnesota... Nashville, St. Louis, Dallas, sort of all lumped together there uh, in that order in the Central Division for your Vegas odds to win the Cup. So I, I use that as a backdrop and a scene set for you to make your case about the Predators winning the offseason in the Central Division. Yeah, and I thought this was going to be more difficult than it actually was. And it was as simple as looking at each team in the Central and kind of going by who they lost and then who did they keep, like who did they resign and who did they add. And just kind of looking at everything, like there wasn't really a lot to go on. St. Louis didn't really add a lot of people. Well, they added a few people. Minnesota had a few people, but none of them are really like important top six people. You look at Dallas, they added Will Butcher, Mason Marchment. We assume they'll re-sign Jake Ottinger and, and Jason Robertson. Winnipeg re-signed Pierre-Luc Dubois. They added Mason Appleton and David Riddick, which you could argue that was almost a subtraction by addition. Chicago, Max Domi, Colin Blackwell, Alex Stalock. Andreas Athanasio, I don't know how to say his name. I always butcher it. Then you get to Colorado, Andrew Cogliano, Alexander Gorgiev, I don't know how to say his name. They kept Val Nachushkin, Josh Manson, Arteri Lekanen. They they were hit hard, though. They lost Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, Darcy Kemper, and Nico Sturm. Then you look at St. Louis, they lost David Perrin, Tyler Bozak, Nick Letty, Charlie Lindgren. There's three really good, solid defensemen. Minnesota lost Nick Delorier, Nick Bukestad, Jordy Ben. Dallas lost John Klingberg, Klingberg, sorry, Vladimir Nemestikov. Uh, Winnipeg lost Paul Stasny, Adam Brooks, Eric Comrie, Chicago, Debrinket, Doc, Strom, the list goes on. Then you get to Nashville. Wait, didn't, kept, didn't, where, where's Kev, Kevin Fiala is part of that list, right? Oh, yeah. I didn't put him on there. My bad. So Minnesota <laughs> lost Kevin Fiala. I don't know how I forgot. I think I, my mind just blocks anything Kevin Fiala related. Um, <laughs> then you get to Nashville. They kept Yakov Trenin, Philip Forsberg, Cody Glass, Jeremy Lozon. They signed Nino Niederreiter, Kevin Lankinen, Zach Sanford. And then you look at the people they lost. Matt Benning. Uh, 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 they added Ryan McDonough. 
Oh yeah, and Ryan McDonough. Sorry, he's right there. I, I have a lot of words all typed up in. Really I mean, I mean, honestly, like Forsberg counts as an addition in theory because there's a good chance that I mean, most people thought he was going to walk, but Forsberg, McDonough, and Niederreiter are the big are the big. Yeah, those are the big three, and then you look at they lost Matt Benning, Ben Harper, Luke Cunning, Nick Cousins, Matt Luff, Jeremy Davies, David Ferentz, and David Riddick. Out of all those guys, I think the only one that could be considered a true loss would be Jeremy Davies. And, and here's the thing. They could have brought any – here's the issue. Every single one of those players that they quote-unquote lost is somebody that they could have re- returned had they wanted them. Exactly. Like, if they wanted Jeremy Davies to be in Nashville, he would still be in Nashville. I don't know what happened there, if they soured on him or, or whatever. But yeah. looking at all that, when you take into account Niederreiter and McDonough as the real, the true additions to this team, even if they just had one of those, that surpasses pretty much anybody that any of the other teams in the division re-signed or added. So I think just kind of looking at that, I mean, keeping Philip Forsberg, home run. Keeping Jakob Trenin, home run. Cody Glass, the jury's still out on him. Jeremy Lozon, the Predators are obviously very high on him, even though I don't think the rest of us see it. Kevin Lankinen on paper looks like an upgrade over David Riddick. Yeah. If Zach Sanford is your is your fourth-line winger, I, I think you I think you take that based off of where yeah. this team was last year with, with Nick Cousins. I, so I think looking at all that, taking everything into perspective, Nashville – it's better than every other team. They got they got better while the other every other team in the central either stayed the same or got worse. And I, and I think that's kind of that was kind of the point of this offseason for David Poyle was to make sure that that happened. Is that enough to close the gap between Nashville and Colorado? No. Is that enough to close the gap between Nashville and St. Louis? Maybe. We'll, we'll kind of see when the season starts. Are you making the case that not a single other team in the central division got better in your opinion? I would say, yeah, because if you look at Colorado, like, yeah, they, they kept Nachushkin and Manson and, and Lekinen, but they lost Kadri and Burakovsky. Like, sure. those are two serious hits. You're looking at Darcy Kemper. They replaced him with Gorgie. I don't know how you say his name. They replaced him, but for, for a while last year, Kemper was was really good. I mean, he struggled a little bit down the stretch and whatnot, but... I mean, he I was mean, the missing St- piece. He was a missing piece, arguably, to them winning a cup. Yeah. St. Louis didn't really do anything. They were, they were kind of flirting with Matthew Kachuk, had that... Had they got him, that would have changed the situation drastically. Like Minnesota lost Kevin Fiala. Dallas has, you know, kind of stayed the same. Oh, and they have a new coach. So who knows what's going to happen there? Don't really know. Winnipeg is kind of a wild card. Chicago and, and Arizona are really worried yeah, about that. So I'm, I'm just looking at, at all that. Objectively speaking, just based off of the additions and subtractions, yeah. Nashville, probably the winner of the offseason in the Central Division. I don't think it's even close. I think you could argue Arizona might have gotten better, but those are all prospects. So, so like that's a different that's a yeah. different type of getting better. So there you go. Here's what here's what I heard today on the show that Michael Gallagher hates Dante Fabro, that Michael Gallagher thinks that Joachim Kemmel is the greatest prospect in the history of the Nashville Predators, and that the Nashville Predators won the Stanley Cup this offseason. That's what we heard today on the show. So if you disagree with any of that, make sure you get to him on Twitter at mg sports underscore. You can read them all over the post and the scene as well. You can get to me at Braden Gall. On Twitter at 440 Sports as well. Proud sponsor. Of course, we've got Weiss Liquors and we've got Jaspers. Go check both of them out. We love you guys both. So if you pers- if you like the show and you support the show, rate, review, subscribe to the show, all that great stuff. Go listen to It's All Your Fault as well. But go support local businesses, Weiss Liquors. Search search on Uber Eats, Weiss Liquors, and go over to Jaspers and get you some good food. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. Michael, always a pleasure, my friend. Good to talk to you. We'll be back next week. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network.